this week on the Divided Opinion podcast. They've never really had a consistent player in that position who they can rely on, and especially someone of that quality as well. I mean, Gomez, he's been talked about by numerous clubs, PSG, sort of Dortmund, clubs in the Champions League. So for them to sign someone of his calibre, and he's at a perfect age as well, 24. It's a really, really smart signing for Newcastle. We'll move on now to a team that have also got tight finances or so we're led to believe, but they did secure a signing. Luis Diaz from Porto, 49 million. And there is an element of danger in there. You'd have thought maybe it would have been something agreed by now if, if everything was going smoothly, and it's obviously not. There's obviously a roadblock in there somewhere and they've got to sort of get it out of the way. So we're going to react to some of our predictions from the start of the season are player of the year and young player of the year. If I remember rightly, some of mine might be a little bit wayward. Hello and welcome back to season two, episode 20 of the Divided Opinion podcast. My name is Joel and as always, Westy joins me. How are you, Westy? All good? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Yourself? Yeah, all good. All good. A bit of a loss though with the the lack of football at the minute. I don't know about you. Yeah, seems like it's going on forever, doesn't it? I know, I know, I know. It'll be back soon. I think we've got the FA Cup this weekend, which I'm looking forward to. I think the magic of the FA Cup seems to be... It's alive and well, I think, the magic of the FA Cup. And I'm looking forward to it coming back. And, yeah, looking forward to having more to talk about. Obviously, yeah, we've got a range of topics to talk about this week. Uh, obviously, it's going to be tran- kind of transfer-focused. I think there's always, especially with no fixtures at the minute, but there's a little bit of a lull now, isn't there? With the January transfer closing, now we're waiting for some fixtures to come back. So, yeah, it's going to be kind of transfer-focused. Obviously, on a more serious note, there has been some news um, over the last week surrounding Mason Greenwood. Um, We're always, obviously, it's difficult to know how to cover something like this. And on here divided opinion whether it's on the page or on the podcast we normally just focus football 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 and focus on that side of things rather than getting into the other stories and controversies that come out but we feel that we're not going to talk about it in great detail here but we feel like it is important for us to to make reference to obviously there's still investigations etc pending so we're not going to make any specific reference to it, but I just thought it was important for us to mention it. Um, I think from our points of view, and there are there are definitely issues within the game from all levels that, that need talking about. And the only positive that can come out of something like this coming out is this this just getting conversations going and realising things that need to change. And this is on all levels. Because I've seen reports recently that women going to games, they feel uncomfortable. I think there was a report at Chelsea that there were there were women going to games felt uncomfortable or were subject to, to harassment, etc. And these things, they need to be spoken about. They can't be brushed under the carpet. We're obviously not in the business of talking about these things to get clicks etc or people listening 
but we thought it's important to mention it and there are definitely things that football need to eradicate and we need to look introspectively and what we can do and that's all sides of the game whether it's fans people within the sport and yeah I thought it was important not to brush under the carpet but we're not going to talk anymore about it but hopefully and we're going to look both me and Westy look into how we can all make a change and help improve the game and improve the inclusivity of the game and that's across all aspects of whether it's gender sexuality everything football has a lot to learn and yeah we thought it was important to talk about but we'll move on now and we'll get on to the other issues in the podcast um and talk about football because that's what we're here for and and yeah um right yeah anyway we'll move on now um and we're going to talk about the the january transfer window um obviously it has come to an end now it came to an end monday night uh we'll start off with probably the team that were most active in the window and that was newcastle We've obviously we've spoken great depth last week. If you want to hear our thoughts on each club's business, go and listen to last week's episode. Um, I thought it was a decent episode, and it's a good way for you to just get. We gave our thoughts on all teams and what we thought of individual signings, but there have been a few that have happened over the last week, especially with Newcastle. Um, we've seen obviously Wood and Trippier had already been done. And we did speak briefly about Bruno Guimaraes. Obviously, that deal had been hit a bit of a roadblock last week, but it did end up happening. Forty million from Leon, uh, Matt Target on loan from Aston Villa, and Dan Byrne for thirteen million from Brighton. Those two last signings were on deadline day. What are you thinking, West? Do you think I'm liking the look of them? To be honest, I think the Newcastle fans can be content. I know it might not be the all the kind of Hollywood signings Newcastle fans were hoping for. But do you think Newcastle fans have a, have the right to be content with, with that window? Definitely, yeah. Um you've got I mean you've got players like Dan Byrne coming in in the defence and obviously that's been an area of the pitch that have it's been one of the Achilles heel for Newcastle for this season and for many seasons and like you said it's you're never gonna be able to attract straight away these these sort of star names that they all sort of had in mind in Newcastle fans, it's going to take time. It's got to build from a certain foundation and you've got to start somewhere. And at the moment, they find themselves in the in the midst of a relegation dogfight. And these are the sort of players that they need to, first and foremost, help them secure, well, retain their Premier League status and then they can build on from there. I mean, I think they're, they're good signings. I think Guimaraes is a really good one. That's probably out of all the signings they've made, maybe the standout one where you think that's mm. someone that could have gone to maybe a, a pick of clubs wherever he wanted to. But um, for like Dan Byrne, Trippier, I think they're really solid signings. Matt Target as well. They're definitely ones that are going to really help them in this in this fight they've got over the next three or four months. And I think it's a safe signing and it's certainly sort of a start of a building block that they can progress from. Yeah, I don't know if you can give us more insight on Bruno Cormares because, I mean, I've seen that he can play a range of positions. Um, yeah. I wondered if you knew what his kind of his more prominent role would be because I know at the minute they set up with, is it three midfielders or two midfielders, but they don't have an attacking midfielder, do they, an outright Newcastle no. in their current setup. But I've seen that Cormares can play in that six, the eight or the ten. Where yeah. do you see him kind of featuring for Eddie Howe's side? I think his best position is 
just sat in front of the defence, that holding midfield role. He's a really sort of modernised player in that position. He can pick the ball up from defence really well on the half turn, uh, create passing sequences and sort of really bring other players into play. But he's got all the the tools to do all the nitty gritty work, sort of get stuck in and he's great defensively as well. And he's just a really all-rounded, great defensive midfield player. The one that, someone that Newcastle desperately needed because like you say, they've, not only the defence, they've struggled really in midfield over the past season or two and they've never really had a consistent sort of player in that position who they can rely on and especially someone of that quality as well. I mean, Gomez, he's been talked about by numerous clubs, PSG, mm. sort of Dortmund, clubs in the Champions League. So for them to sign someone of his calibre and he's at a perfect age as well, 24, still got a few years, few years sorry, into his prime. So it's a really, really smart signing for Newcastle and I think he'll do really well. Yeah, I think another smart signing as well and one that's gone under the radar is the Matt Target loan. Uh, I think it's a really interesting one and I think I'm, I'm impressed with, with Newcastle's kind of business and they're, they are showing a certain level of acumen. Um, I don't want to sound patronising because I imagine these people, they've employed people for this these roles, but you you could expect them to, to come in and their name be attached to some players that are a lot of money and would demand high wages but possibly weren't the most sensible signings for the long term and for the short term as well but I like these signings I look I look at the Matt Target signing and think I see a player that probably been unfairly treated at Villa he was over the last two or three seasons but he's been a mainstay in that Villa side at left back obviously he had a great partnership with Jack Grealish I've seen a few Villa fans talking that maybe his his level dropped a little bit without Grealish I think with Target he kind of fell victim to the fact that Gerard is trying to do everything in his power and he's trying to convey that he wants to play positively he wants to play on the attack and push Villa into that upper mid-table and challenging for Europe, turn them into that that kind of a side and have that kind of reputation. And you don't do that with, with defensive fullbacks, really, do you nowadays? You see these teams higher up the league, they have fullbacks that can attack. And it seems almost that that seems to be like a, a prerequisite of of the modern-day fullback or the if you want to play for a top team, you have to be able to attack and target can't offer that sadly but when he goes to Newcastle he's going to be playing in a team that plays deeper that is going to be focused on defensively on defense first and foremost and I know how likes to play attacking football and he will try and probably implement that over time but this season it's going to be very much games where playing with a low block and with protection around him and also with Trippier on the other side you've got target who can sit in while Trippier goes forward and almost play more of like a hybrid formation where you have like three centre-backs in attack with target slotting in and then Trippier can join the attack. I think from a range of point of views, the target signing really could be a good one. And I know there's different opinions on target, I think, and especially amongst Villa fans, but I think there is a, a chance that Villa could end up almost being red-faced by this whole side, this this kind of um, this deal or whatever you call it, with Dinier staying, Target going, I don't know. I think I see things in Target that I don't see in Dinier. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, like you said, Target's done 
gone under the radar a lot over the past two or three seasons. He's been sort of a a constant in that back four. Um, like you say, he's, he may be going forward, he maybe lets himself down a little bit, but he's always been solid in defence and sort of done his job first and foremost. And I think I agree on the Jack Grealish situation. I think Jack Grealish leaving's probably sort of maybe finished Matt Target's Aston Villa career for himself as well because they created such a good partnership on that left-hand side. And despite not being notoriously amazing at sort of his offensive side of the game, he did link up really well, sort of the overlaps and feeding Jack Grealish through. And But yeah, like you say, it's an, it's an interesting one to, to keep an eye on and see how he does at Newcastle because it's certainly an exciting move for him and exciting for Newcastle fans as well. Yeah, yeah. What about Dan Byrne? Quick thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, solid solid player I mean you can't sort of pick any faults with him really he's a he's a good traditional centre half and it's someone that they needed and a bit of stability in that defence that they've been missing for quite some time yeah yeah no I, I like the look of that signing to be fair and I think it is clear that the Newcastle is looking to the short term and also they are they've obviously targeted players that are attainable and kind of gone in with offers that you can't refuse because the money they were offering for Chris Wood and I imagine the wage they were offering him and the same for Dan Byrne, these teams, they can't really turn them down. It's the the kind of model that Pratt and the Burnleys are on where player outgoings are kind of what gives you the, the room to manoeuvre in the future. We'll move on now to a team that have also got tight finances or so we're led to believe, but they did secure a signing, Luis Diaz from Porto for £49 million. I've seen some different opinions around some people think he's going to be perfect for Liverpool. I've seen some people say maybe he, he isn't that suited to the, the Gagan pressing or the, the Klopp way of playing. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think this is kind of what Liverpool needed or maybe were there other areas they could have been looking to strengthen? I think it's a really, really, really good signing for Liverpool. He's not a player I've watched week in, week out, but obviously I've seen him in the Champions League for Porto seen him in a couple of other games and uh, I think he'll fit really well at Liverpool. He's a hard-working winger as well. He's not one that shies away from his defensive work or sort of cheats, so to speak. He's um, first and foremost, obviously, he's a brilliant player offensively. I mean, just look at his goals and assists and his output this season for Porto. Obviously, it's a it's a hell of a different standard to the Premier League. But um, no, I think it adds another option as well for that front three or four you'd call it now with Jota in there and obviously Jota's coming in sort of given given Firmino a, a a bit of competition and look it's look what it's done to Jota I mean he's almost overtaken Firmino now in that position and I think it was sort of key for someone to maybe come in and give Salah and Mane maybe not so much Salah because he's more right-sided than Mohamed Salah's Mohamed Salah I mean you're never going to sort of dislodge him out of the team but especially for someone like Sadio Mane, where he is a player whose level has dropped a, a little bit over the past couple of seasons, and I think Liverpool fans would probably agree with me. It's good for someone to come in and sort of provide that competition, healthy competition, and not only will it be good for Liverpool having another option, it might and it might bring the best back out of Sadio Mane. Yeah, and I think if you look across the team, they are so sensible with their with their transfer incomings, and I, I just. You rarely see a player brought in, and then, like I was saying, with the there are opinions that maybe he won't fit in. 
But this guy would have been scouted meticulously by Liverpool's scouting team. Klopp would have looked at him and Klopp would have given the green light to go in for him. And they don't just chuck money around. And you look across their team, defensively they have brought in some some backup options. I mean, we've seen Nat Phillips go out on loan. So that tells you that they are reasonably comfortable now with, say, their options at centre-back. They've got backup options for the full-backs. In centre-mid, they look pretty pretty well versed with with some of the players they brought in and but I do think when you look at the the area of the pitch it does need improving you are looking towards that the kind of the reserve players behind the Salah the Marnes and Jota I think now and I think there are there have been players that haven't really achieved what they should have or the there's a lot of players in there that come on and they can they can kind of I wouldn't say it's like playing with 10 men and I wouldn't say they're not like they're completely off the pace but you look the players like Minamino's etc Origi's they can come on they might grab them the odd goal but when you're looking for a consistent output it's quite apart from Jota that there's obviously the Jota and Firmino rotation that does work somewhat but without Salah and Mane the kind of consistent output and it's just not there, is it? And I think that is why Luis Diaz has been brought in. And I think it is absolutely what they need. I'm just interested, though, because I don't think this, the kind of Salah, the Salah contract stuff, I don't think we've seen the end of that yet. And well, we definitely haven't seen the end of it because he's still a contract rebel, I think they call him. Uh, he doesn't, he's, he, he's saying that it's out of his hands now. He's told Liverpool what he wants. It's up to Liverpool to to come up with the figures and match his demands. I wonder, do you think? I mean, I've not seen much of this Diaz. I've seen highlights of him. Um, I've seen seen him like you said in the Champions League. Does he have the ability to play on the right side as well? Because I'm, I wouldn't be concerned as a Liverpool fan, but I would keep an eye on the the Salah situation because this is a big contract for Salah this is his probably his last big contract if he's going to sign what a four-year deal say it's going to take him to around the age of about 34 35 after that his kind of opportunity to earn may deteriorate unless he say goes to a, a Saudi Arabian club or something like that obviously we don't know what football's going to be like in five years but do you think this DR signing could be a potentially looking at a Salah replacement or am I reading into it too much there? I wouldn't necessarily say direct salary replacement because obviously no. I think Liverpool as a club and the fans and I think Salah himself are still hopeful that a deal will get done. But I still agree with you on the fact that the amount of time it's taking now and that there is an element of danger in there. You'd have thought maybe it would have been something agreed by now if, if everything was going smoothly and it's obviously not. There's obviously a roadblock in there somewhere and they've got to sort of get it out of the way. Mm. but on Diaz I mean he's predominantly plays off the left hand side I've not really ever seen him play he, he will have played on the right I'm sure he will have for Porto but I'm not sure whether that's a position position where you spend that amount of money on for someone on the other side and sort of make them yeah. a makeshift mm. so it, it could work but yeah like you say it all depends it all hangs on the seller situation and it's one that they've got to try and get done at least maybe before the summer because when you go into the territory of the final 12 months of your contract that's when everything goes into the player's court the value of the deal if he was to leave in that summer or when once you start running your contract down it's very hard to 
to you lose all control of the situation. Mm, I think it's really interesting with Salah, and I think it's one we're going to have to keep a really close eye on mm. because well, we know there's going to be teams in for him. Um, is he got a year left after this year? Yeah, in, in the final eighteen months now. So it really is getting to crunch time with that, and I can't see Liverpool keeping him around for another year. Do you not think they'd try and cash in at the end of this season if they were going to? Um, or would they maybe let him go on a free? Potentially, yeah. It's 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 one there where you have to weigh up the sort of the pros and cons and how he's so important to that Liverpool team. Is he worth cashing in? Maybe how much would they get from him a year left in his contract? Maybe fifty, sixty million. Is it mm. worth cashing that money in, or is it worth having him? for another season and trying to go and win another trophy or a Champions League and letting them go on a free but you don't know do you well the thing they've got on their side is that they did only spend around 30 million on Salah didn't they Yeah. so they stand to lose very little even if he does go on a free exactly if they paid 100 million they've got their, their value but yeah no Liverpool fans I wouldn't be worried just yet but I would keep an eye on it I think Salah does want to sign yeah. But at the end of the day, and from what I've read from what he's saying, is that he has asked for a bit more. And I, I, to be honest, I completely understand it. And we see so many of these players asking for ridiculous wages. But if there's a player on, on the planet that deserves a raise and deserves to earn kind of this big, big money, then I think it is Salah. I think he's on 200 grand a week at the minute. Yeah, I think which he's when for... you, In comparison to kind of his rivals in the Premier League and even players that couldn't lace his boots uh, I'm talking about teams that like United etc it's quite it's, it's a it's a small contract really if you yeah. consider his impact right we'll move on now to Liverpool's Merseyside rivals Everton obviously they've appointed Frank Lampard and instantly brought in two centre mids with a point to prove both of them with a point to prove Donny van der Beek from Manchester United and from what I can see, it's just a straightforward loan to the end of the season. No uh, option to buy, etc. But then we've got Deli Alley coming in from Spurs. Free agent, but there are individual and team performance-based bonuses. I think it could go up to 35 to 40 million for Alley. I've, yeah. I've seen something about if he plays 20 games this season, it will go. It will be 12 million instantly. What are your thoughts, early thoughts? Um can Lampard get the best out of these two players, do you reckon? I mean, it, you'll have to wait and see. I mean, he's he's obviously at Chelsea and at Derby. He's done great jobs with sort of nurturing players into maybe a bit more youthful players. I mean, they're both still fairly young, aren't they? Van der Beek, I think they're both 24, 25. So they've still got a lot of years ahead of them. So I think with Deli Alli especially, I think um, Lampard's the best person to sort of maybe try and get the best out of him, it's, it's going to be a difficult job because it doesn't seem like anyone since Maurizio Pochettino has been able to get anywhere near the best out of Deli Alli. But Donny van der Beek as well, it's it's just someone that hopefully Lampard can get him in and just reinstall some confidence in his game and get him playing regularly. And once them two start getting regular minutes under their belt and hopefully Everton's performances as a team get better as a result, hopefully we'll start to see something close to the best of both of them really mm, it's interesting isn't it because from the outside before Lampard came in it didn't seem like Everton were the ideal kind of environment 
for for player for especially to players with such little confidence it doesn't seem like the perfect environment to thrive in to develop in and now Frank Lampard's at the helm maybe that will change I think it's worth saying as well that the Donny van der Beek and Ali situations while while there are similarities they are different as well they're, they're very, clearly very different characters. I think Ali, he's proven himself before. He knows he can do it at this level. I think it's just getting back that confidence. Whereas Van der Beek, he almost seems to have more to prove because he's somewhat of an unknown entity, really, in the Premier League. I mean, we've never really seen him do it. We don't. He's still got that air of kind of unknown where you don't even know if he can do it at this level with, with Van der Beek. But it does seem, the one set of similarity is it does seem like it's now or never for both players in terms of their Premier League careers. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? And I completely agree with what you're saying with Lampard. And I think if there's anyone that can get the best out of the two, I think it is Lampard. And it is that they're both, well, what struck me about Van der Beek when I first seen him with with Ajax when he broke through and he was scoring in the Champions League, etc., is... He does arrive late and he is positioning and he, he seems to have an eye for goal. And that was the same with Ali. And that is probably what Frank Lampard was the greatest of all time at doing in terms of his positioning and yeah, arriving late and and scoring goals. I mean, there was no better goal-scoring midfielder than Lampard. I think it's just interesting how the two fit into the team together. I don't know what, what formation Lampard's going to go with. Uh, I could, I, you'd, you'd have to assume that it would be a a free man midfield wouldn't you with someone who who would be sitting in Ali not Ali um Alan maybe yeah maybe Decore I mean you'd probably He's, you'd think he was more of a box to box midfielder but well he seems to be of a similar ilk to Ali and that Donny van der Beek doesn't he Decore yeah now? yeah it's difficult isn't it because obviously Deli Ali definitely not but you still wouldn't think Donny van der Beek would be thriving most if they were to put him in that holding midfield role because that's sort of where he's been playing when he's had the rare chance at Manchester United and obviously he's not thrived in that position there so it'd be unfair I think to to stick him in there as well I think maybe Alan but it all depends on Frank Lampard and who he who he, who he takes a liking to because you never know of a new manager they come in and it's a it's yeah. a clean clean slate for everyone yeah and I think as well it's not like I was saying, it isn't the ideal environment. They can't go in there and they don't have the luxury of being able to have a little bit of maybe a dip and slowly get into form. These Everton fans are expecting instant impact. They're expecting to start winning games and they need to do it. Because yeah. they will get dragged into a relegation battle if they're not careful. I think the they results, are already. Mm, and they're just, I think they're just teetering on the, like they're just on the edge right now. I think they're sat around 50 and if they can get a couple wins under their under their belt they'll all of a sudden be looking nice and comfortable but a couple of losses and they're straight back down in there and we've seen the teams around them have improved but yeah i think it'll be interesting and it's optimism isn't it for everton fans and i think Definitely. that's all they want um we'll move on now to tottenham who kind of also just came into into life near the end of the window the, the I think Spurs fans must have been just cursing their luck with with the window they'd had previously. With it seemed Triore was taken under their nose and gone to Barcelona. Then we saw it with that Luis Diaz because it seemed that 
Spurs' interest in Luis Diaz seemed to spark Liverpool into life. And obviously, we know what happened there. So they signed Rodrigo Bentancur from Juventus for £21.5 million. And then Kulazewski, Juventus. And Sky Sports have got it down as a loan, but I'm pretty sure there is some option to buy in there. Is, am I right in saying £40 yeah. million around that? 18-month loan then an option to buy. Yeah, I like these signings. Um, Benton Kaur, I know a little bit more about. I've seen a bit more. Tidy midfield player. And I'm interested to see how he can do in the Premier League. Um, Kulisevsky, likewise, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. I've heard good things about him. He seems to be a, quite a robust player. You'd think someone that could, could adapt well to the Premier League. Um, is there any insight you can offer on, on both players? I know you're a bit of a Serie A expert. <laughs> um I think, like you say, Benzincorn. If I was a Tottenham fan, I'd be really excited about him. He's sort of an all-rounder as a midfielder. Can play defensively, but can also play further up the pitch in sort of the number ten, number eight role. I'd say number eight probably is. I'll just on that right-hand side of midfield. He's that's where he sort of gets his best football out of him. I'm not really sure what's gone on at Juve that much because I've not, not actually watched Juve an awful lot this season. But to me, is watching. Well, it doesn't them, seem to be going well, does it? Well, well, no, not particularly. No, but over the past two or three years, if anyone was a obviously one of the shining lights, it was. It did seem to be Rodrigo Bentancourt really at Juve, and I thought I assumed that he was a player that they were putting their trust and hopes into for a lot of a lot of years ahead. But I'm not sure what's gone on there. Whether it's something behind behind the scenes with the manager or with Allegri. But no, it's it's a surprising one. I think Spurs have got a bit of a steal there at 19 million, and mm. he's definitely a type of midfielder that Spurs need because they've got someone like Hjoyberg in there who's a lot more defensive rounded, and yeah. people like Harry Winks. But then they've also just lost out on someone like Tangay and Dumbele. Whether they've lost out, I'm not sure. Spurs fans would probably be too bothered about him moving on, but they mm. are missing that player now who can sort of create, defend and do everything that, that you'd want a modern day midfielder to do and they've got just that in Kula and Benton Cole. Yeah, I think they have looked weak in the mid, the middle of the park Spurs. Um, I like Hoiberg and I think it was about getting someone to go next to him and Benton Cole does look like a player that could do that. I've not been impressed with Harry Winks at all this season. When I saw him against Leicester, he was just a lot of wayward passing and he just seems to not much, have much confidence, really. And you can't really afford to have that in the middle of the park there, especially when you're someone that's tasked with dictating the play. You've got to almost be the coolest head on the pitch. And I don't know, it seems to have gone quite stale somewhat um, that Harry Winks' career because I was really hopeful with Harry Winks and definitely talent there. But yeah, no, I, I'm really interested to see what Ben Tancourt can do. I think Conte's definitely building something there at Spurs, isn't he? Because I was quite, um, what's the word? I was quite I was quite pessimistic about uh, Conte going to Spurs. Not so much Conte, but just Spurs as a whole. I didn't think there was much to be optimistic about. And with that set of players, I just think it has got, I think stale is the word with Spurs. And it seems to have, gone gone that with um with a lot of their players and I was oh yeah I was just pessimistic about what Conte could do but he seems to have built something and there is some kind of improvement coming the kind of how far that will go I think we get to see um 
But yeah, two signings that definitely go in the right direction. But two signings that are far, are far from proven. And you can't help but think that they maybe need a little bit more. They seem to leave a lot to be desired up front and in attack. And with, with when Son's injured, especially, the creativity around Harry Kane, um, it does seem to be lacking. But anyway, we'll move on from Spurs. We'll go, we'll go to their North London rivals, Arsenal. And a torrid window for Arsenal. And one that you'll, you'll want to forget if you're an Arsenal fan. But I don't think you're going to be allowed to forget it with the season carrying on. I think it could have a real, real impact there. Lack of business. Obviously, we saw Aubameyang. It was quite a bizarre chain of events on deadline day. With Aubameyang flying to Barcelona. Called it a family trip. Went to Barcelona. Then Barcelona, there seems to be a difference of opinion between this salary. With Arsenal, were adamant that they weren't going to pay any of Aubameyang's salary if he went on loan to Barcelona. So then Aubameyang flew home or was told to come home. We we thought it was all but done. And then I think within a couple hours left of the window, they managed to agree a deal. Everyone thought it was going to be a loan, but it was a permanent deal. So Aubameyang's gone. Gone on a free to me, I don't know. We'll get yeah. I'll get your thoughts on this because I think it's. He, he seems strange to me, letting Aubameyang go, and I know it's not ideal, and I know what Arteta's doing. He's trying to exercise his leadership and stamp his authority and kind of make an example of Aubameyang. But they seem to almost be shooting themselves in the foot with this one because the lack of options they have, and there were very few links. On deadline day, I don't think there were any kind of links to get Arsenal fans excited that they were going to bring in a replacement. And they seem really, really thin on the ground now up front. They've got Nketiah and obviously Lacazette, with the, neither of them offering any kind of output that would be sufficient for a striker in the Premier League. This is a strange one, isn't it? And do you think maybe it would have been in their best interest to keep Aubameyang around? Definitely, yeah. It's... Like you say, it's a situation where Arteta's he's obviously trying to play the play the enforcer here where he wants everyone's sort of got to follow his rules and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As a manager you've got to come in and sort of stamp your foot down to certain things and especially when it comes to your club captain and disciplinary issues. Obviously we've heard things in the past about Aubameyang. But I think this was probably a moment where Arteta could have maybe gone and spoken to him and said give me four or five months uh, we don't have to get on as as you know work colleagues players there'll be players that don't get on in every team and you don't have to get on to do your job and he could have said to him come on you'll play for us you can help us as a team I'll let you go in the summer but just for the next few months we'll just sort of just nip it in the bud this issue that they've got between the pair and he could have helped fire them into a Champions League spot and then gone in the summer but now I think I think for Arsenal fans, that Champions League spot's out of out of sight, probably. I think without a striker, mm. because you can't, like you say, you can't rest your hopes on Lacazette and Nketiah. And I think Arsenal was sort of masters of their own downfall this January transfer window because they sort of hopelessly laid all of their or put all their eggs in one basket in regarding Dusan Vlahovic, and he never really wanted to. He never, it was never going to happen. He never wanted to go to Arsenal. He wanted to stay in Italy. He's gone to Juventus with a few days of the transfer window left and they've found themselves in a position where they're really light up front, like you said, for the remainder of the season. Yeah, it's, I think it could 
proved to be really damaging for Arsenal. And it's such a shame because they have had so much to be optimistic about this season. And I just wonder if they are looking to the summer now and whether it's going to be a, a big signing in the summer that they're looking to. But you just hope it isn't too, uh, like too damaging because momentum is so important, isn't it? And you've got to, they've got to push on now from what they've what they've created, and it could all be redundant if they don't push on now and carry on this season. They could lose that momentum, and then all of a sudden, Arsenal fans want Arteta out. It changes by the week with Arsenal. It's a tough one because you don't want. It's it's not it is close to a crisis for Arsenal, and Arsenal fans are the best at at creating a crisis about the littlest of things. But I think this is one situation where I do look at them and I have a lot of sympathy because, yeah, they've been moving in the right direction, but this seems really costly and it just seems... It just doesn't seem like they, had this, that they stood to gain much from Aubameyang. They've got his wage off the wage bill, which is massive. I think he was probably the highest paid player, highest paid player in the club. But apart from that, it's not like they've brought anyone in to replace him or... And I think it hurt them that it was so late on in the window. And yeah. I wonder if that was a tactic from Barcelona. I don't know. It's almost like it was a tactic from, from Aubameyang almost. Just a, a final kind of F you to, to Arsenal. And I don't know. It's a shame, isn't it? It's a shame because I like Aubameyang. I think he's a good player. And from what I've seen from his character, he seems like the kind of guy that if Arteta had turned around to him and said, come on, let's just get in the trenches. And just play for us and be the captain you are. And then you can go at the end of the season. But it doesn't seem like that was an option for Arteta. With Arsenal, do you think that is top four over then? Obviously, you made reference to it there. But I want your final say. Yeah, um, to be fair, no matter... Obviously, they they were seen as a rival for the top four spot. for, And they still are for the team I support. And... But I never really had them sort of in the, in my head as a worry, even when they were going through the good patches of form in sort of November, December. I always feel with this Arsenal team that they'll eventually they'll they'll fall off a little bit like Tottenham. Um, yeah. So I I didn't really see them as a as a huge top four threat. I think they had an outside chance, but I think that outside chance now has sort of almost gone altogether because it was so it was just massively important for them to strengthen in in that forward position and they've not and they've also let people go as well like I'm not saying someone like Follery and Balogun I think it is yeah. I'm not saying he's he's obviously not proven at all he's not even made a Premier League appearance but when you're struggling for depth up that up top of the pitch I found it really strange that they continually let people go in that area so yeah I think it's just a massive just a real big mistake from Arsenal in this whole window I don't know how they've tried to approach it but they've got it totally wrong I wonder how Arteta is is feeling right now, and I wonder if he reflects the the anger felt by the Arsenal fans, because I did see that he'd flown to America to meet directly with is it Stan Kroenke, the the owner, yeah. that he's flown directly to America to meet him with transfers reportedly high on the agenda of the meeting, and I wonder what the conversation was there. I wonder if it was uh, Mikel, you're doing brilliantly, just get us to the summer. And we're going to build from there, maybe bring in a big sign. And then, I don't know. I really don't know. Because you wonder, there must be some kind of plan here. There must be. And I can't believe there just wasn't anyone. Like, no one. Like There was no rumours or anything. Deadline day was barren for Arsenal fans. 
you normally have at least a, a player. I mean, I'm surprised maybe like a Dembele. Usman Dembele seems to be pushing for a move. Seemed like the kind of player that Arsenal <laughs> would go for, but I saw I saw something about him saying that he had no interest in going to Arsenal. So, but that's well, that just tells you more about him, doesn't it? I think because yeah, he should be jumping at a, an opportunity like that. Doesn't seem like anyone else wants him. No, no, desperate to leave, but didn't want to go to anywhere have the options that he had on the table. So, and from what I've seen, the kind of clubs that were that were in for him or rumored to be in for him that he maybe would be interested in, there were no direct talks with Chelsea. There was some kind of rumors that came out, but apparently there were no direct talks. United didn't want him. Obviously, Man City wouldn't have wanted him. Those kind of teams that he supposedly wants to or thinks he fits the bill for, Arsenal would have been perfect for him. And I know he's not an out and out striker, but you. Any kind of options for them now would, would help. Yeah. Just lastly, before we talk about our mid-season predictions, we're going to react to some of our predictions from the start of the season, our player of the year and young player of the year, just to react to. And I think, if I remember rightly, some of mine might be in a little bit wayward. Um, <laughs> Jao Cancelo has extended his contract with Manchester City. Just so impressive kind of revolutionised his position. He's been a revelation since he came from Juventus. Took him a little bit of time to kind of cement his place in the City team. He's adapted now to being almost a left-back because of Walker ahead of him at right-back. Fully deserved, isn't it, this contract? And massive for Man City in the future. Yeah, I mean, he's just uh, similar to sort of Trent and Andy Robertson. He's sort of revolutionised that position on the pitch, hasn't he, now? And we'd, we'd always seen Cancelo as a player that was highly talked about in Italy and he was one of the best fullbacks in the world, I think, before signing for City. But there didn't really seem to be that much of a race for him when City went in for him. It was just sort of a deal that was done off the back like that, got him in. Mm. And over the first, like you say, over the first season, took him a long time to gel when he was probably one of them players that you thought Pep would probably maybe move on after a year because it's happened with other defenders like Danilo where he's bought them in it hasn't worked and they may be not suited to the Premier League but I think it's mainly credits not not only to Jao Cancelo but to Pep Guardiola and his ability at developing players and nurturing them into the players that they are today I mean I saw a little thing on Twitter earlier saying that Ed Woodward was advised directly by multiple sources to sign Jao Cancelo in the summer of 2020 but declined all of their advances and opted for Aaron Wan-Bissaka. And it just makes you think, but would, say, if Jao Cancelo had signed for Manchester United, would he be the player he is today? Probably not, because how many times do United fail at developing a footballer into someone that they could have been? So I think for Cancelo's career, it was probably slightly better that he chose the the blue side of Manchester on this occasion. Yeah, yeah, no, I I think... With with other clubs, you'd look at and go, yeah, yeah, what a miss! That was what a miss for them. But he wouldn't have become the player he is now. He wouldn't have. There's no doubt about it. Manchester City is the perfect environment for a footballer to grow in, and we've spoken about it before on the podcast. I'm sure what they've created there, and you you very rarely see players pushing for moves. You very rarely see contract rebels. You rarely even see a player being unsettled at Manchester City, and. When players tend to move on, it tends to be that they're not at the forefront of Pep's plans or there's a little discrepancy around them as a player or as the, as a City player. 
And I think what's most impressive with Cancelo is that it's not easy to go into that pet team. And it seems like he has left no stone unturned in terms of how to optimise his team. But he almost went in there, Cancelo, and offered him something else. And we've seen he almost picks up kind of central midfield positions. And and I'm sure that is partly a genius on Pep's side. But Cancelo has kind of allowed him to do that. And there's not many fullbacks that could have gone in and offered what Cancelo has. And to offer Pep something new and develop his team further is nothing short of incredible. As an achievement as a player, it shouldn't be kind of underestimated how hard that is to do and we see it with players that go there you're not only going there to be the like City rarely sign a player that's not top quality or not proven themselves elsewhere it's not about quality it's about identifying what you can offer to the team and how you can play a role and you can take that team further and it's not easy to do it's probably the hardest thing to do and yeah I think it's so impressive it's so important to get him nailed down to a contract, but I don't think there's any surprise around it. I don't think anyone would have thought Cancelo was going to leave or any player like Cancelo, and I completely understand his, his reasoning and, and desire to stay. Um, we're going to finish the episode now on reacting to our predictions earlier this season, because it's kind of, I know it's a little bit past mid-season now. We're going to react to our player of the year, and our young player of the year prediction. Can you get it up, West? So, I'm going to keep it nice and short. But I'm going to go player of the year. I'm going to go Virgil van Dijk. I just think the impact he's going to have on that Liverpool team. It could transcend them. And completely just change the direction of the whole team. For my player of the season, I think I'd probably... I'd probably go again go with Kevin De Bruyne. Like I said, if he can stay fit. Because I just think he, everyone on their form, all, all fully fit. I think he's, he is the best player in the league. I think not many people can argue with that, really. Right, so Virgil van Dijk for me and Kevin De Bruyne for Westy. Two kind of shouts that you would say were pretty safe earlier on in the season. I think my thought process was that the impact van Dijk was going to have on Liverpool coming back into the team after injury, I thought it was going to be massive. And I think from a certain aspect, I have been right. He ain't going to win player of the year. But Liverpool have looked greatly improved with him back in the team. And I think you can more see more his impact as a collective rather than his individual uh, performances, which I think he, in the, that, obviously that Champions League, the Premier League winning seasons, he really did catch the eye there, didn't he? And you, you could see it from an individual standpoint. But yeah, maybe not player of the year, but I'm not too disappointed in that shout. Uh, with you, Kevin De Bruyne, I think possibly the safest shot you could have gone for. Yeah. Are you happy with that prediction? Do you think he could win the Player of the Year? Um, I don't think he can. I don't think he will. I think Mohamed Salah is probably the only sort of player that is in the running. I think it's only fair the sort of numbers he's putting up and the effect he has on that Liverpool team. But like you say, it was a safe shout. I don't think he. I think he's had a good season, De Bruyne. I think especially over the past month or two. West City have really sort of come in, come into their own, and just sort of really, just sort of reinstated that their dominance in the Premier League and how sort of far ahead of, far ahead they are of everyone else in the league. I think he's been really good over the past couple of months. But no, I mean, 
I'd, I'd say I'm happy with the the shout. I don't think it's a terrible shout. I think he's been one of the best players this season. But like I say, I don't think if neither of us predicted Mohamed Salah, then we're both off. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, last season we did see De Bruyne winning Player of the Year. I think last two seasons he's won Players Player of the Year or Player of the Year. Um, and I think wrongfully so last season. Um, I can't rem- remember specifically the season before, but I think last season there were definitely um, better candidates to win it than him. And I think, yeah, it's the same this season. Uh, he's, yeah, I think we've seen him back to his best on certain occasions. I think, yeah, fitness has been an issue. He seems to struggle to string together these kind of the top performances we, we came to know Kevin De Bruyne for. And I think because his standards are so high and you see how much it takes out of him. These big performances it, when he he's everywhere and it, it's, there's so much running to his game and it's just constant, isn't he? Just constantly pr- pushing and pushing for opportunities. But it can prove costly that. And yeah, I don't think... He, but he isn't going to win Player of the Year. I'd be shocked if he does. Um, but yeah, I'd think two not horrendous shouts. Not horrendous. Uh, we'll move on now to our Young Players of the Year. And then Young Player of the Year, my shout is going to be Jaden Sancho. Uh, I can see him likewise to Lukaku. I could just see him hitting the ground running. I think with United's attack, it's never been the issue. It's They've got the players that can finish it. They've got Cavani, they've got Martial, they've got Greenwood. All they need is a playmaker on the wing. Not so Obviously, they've got Bruno Fernandes, but having a playmaker on the wing, I think, yeah, I just think Jaden Sancho, he's going to get bags of assists, bags of goals. Yeah, I think Phil Foden, I think if he can, if he plays a lot of minutes at City, which he started to have, he has done recently in the last couple of years, become a quite integral part of that team. And it'd be a bit more difficult with Grealish coming in, maybe a few less minutes in some of the bigger games. But I think the ability he's got, he can definitely go and win that young player of the season. Right, so Phil Foden for Westy and. A shout that hasn't come to fruition, Jaden Sancho for me. I've been quite, vo- I wouldn't say vocal, but I've been, I've made it clear that I don't think Sancho has made the impact that he was expecting. I don't think that United were expecting, United fans were expecting. He isn't going to win Young Player of the Year. I think I was quite, it was a worthy shout. At the, at the start of the season and I think it's more Jane and Sancho letting me down <laughs> rather than me letting myself down with my prediction because I think going into the season it was clear that well I thought anyway that in attack wasn't United's problem I thought they had players that could finish finish attacks off and were attacking players that lacked creativity and I thought Jane and Sancho was going to be that final missing link for United and the amount of money you spent on him you'd hope he would be pushing for at least a young player of the year if not player of the year and the form that he was shown in Bundesliga would certainly um, lead you to believe that he would make that kind of an impact what do you think about that shout Jadon Sancho and fair shout the, well he ain't going to win it this season is he no he's not going to win it difficult season for him I think personally but I think a lot of that is down to sort of the the problems that United have faced on the pitch as a whole and as a club it's not all his own fault but I think he certainly disappointed himself and maybe fans around that probably thought he'd hit the ground running a bit quicker but on him it's just he's still young we can just hope he sort of 
has a strong second half to the season and starts to real build up some good minutes, performances and momentum now from now and until the end of the season. Yeah. Your young player of the year shout, Phil Foden. Yeah. What, can you remember your, your thinking behind that? Um, I just think the sort of the trajectory that he's been on over the past two or three years. Um, obviously, he didn't feature massively in the Euros. I think he featured, but he didn't. He wasn't sort of. Mm, he, didn't, think, he didn't. He didn't have a fantastic Euros. I think we, it's fair to say. Yeah. But I just thought, you know, like I said, the trajectory that he's been on, and obviously the the clear and obvious ability he's got. I thought he would just sort of go on to sort of new heights this season, and I think he's had a, a steady season. I think he's been good, but he's not pulled up any trees individually and. Obviously, I don't think he's going to go on and win it. No, uh, you know what? I I don't know. No, I'd I beg I to differ there. Maybe, maybe. I think he has had a good season. Yeah, I've he's had a really good season. Of him. Um, and obviously, you look at with the the player of the year. There has to be a certain amount of kind of look into the the success of their their teams. And Phil Foden is very likely going to be leaving the season with another Premier League trophy. And I think he very much is in line to win Young Player of the Year. I wonder what a few of... I mean, we're going to... I I suppose, yeah, well, what, who would your... So, we, I think we're in agreement, aren't we, that Mo Salah's going to be Player of the Year. Yeah. should be if it carries on the way it is. Um, Young Player of the Year, looking now midway, for, midway through the season, a little bit over midway, who are you thinking? Who are the shouts? I think Phil Foden's definitely in there Um, the Young Player of the Year. I think Bukayo Saka could be in for a shout. Mm, definitely, he's he's the sort of leading man for Arsenal. I mean, at such a young age as well, we sort of all of their hopes almost depend on Bakayo Saka, and I think the maturity the maturity that he shows at his age, and I mean, obviously the ability comes with it as well. But I just think his leadership qualities for someone so young and so raw still, I think he's definitely in for a shout. Mm. I think thinking about it though, I think Phil Foden. Will likely be the player that wins Young Player of the Year. If I'm honest, thinking about it, there's there's been players that have done well, but I think more of the young players maybe lie within the 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 teams lower down the league. Maybe a Conor Gallagher would be a shout, but I don't think he'd rival Phil Foden. Um, yeah, no one really springs to mind. I mean, let us know, guys, what if there's anyone you you're thinking that would be more of a shout for Young Player of the Year. Obviously, yeah, if you want to get in contact with us at Divided Opinion on Instagram, where we post daily content, articles, and you've had it all before. But yeah, go over and check us out if, if that's something you'd like to do. I think I think Phil Foden could be a good shout, mate. Yeah, maybe I was being a little bit harsh. We'll move on now to our top goal scorers. I'm going to go for top goal scorer. I'm going to go Lukaku. I can see him hitting the ground running at Chelsea. It's just what he's good at is scoring goals. There's no messing about, and it's exactly what Chelsea needs. And the the supply he's going to get from the likes of Mount, Pulisic, Havertz, yeah, he's going to have so many chances. So I think Lukaku, top goal scorer. I think Mohamed Salah for me, if he's um, if Liverpool click into gear again and recover well from the last last year's pretty dismal campaign, I think Mohamed Salah. Um, it's got a good shot of getting the golden boot for me. I think I'm going to go with Mohamed Salah. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> miles off it. I was. I think. I mean, I've got to explain myself. Really, obviously, Lukaku hasn't had the impact that I obviously uh, predicted earlier in the season. 
I mean, I was maybe ill ill informed, let's say. Maybe I was going off. I hadn't watched loads of Lukaku, and maybe my thought process was that I'd seen the impact he made when he first came to United, where he, he kind of hit the ground running, didn't he? And he, 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 I think it tailed off after his start, but he did. He's got. He he can score goals, Lukaku. I think you can argue about other sides of his games, but we've seen he's proved time time and time out that if you get him in a team that suits him, he can score goals and he will score goals. Obviously, that hasn't happened with Chelsea. He has had issues. I think maybe injuries. He's maybe lost his place in the team. COVID hasn't helped. But yeah, I was a pretty miles off with that one, and I think. Are you feeling smug? Because I know your Lukaku agenda is, <laughs> is rife. And I think you you are looking smug. Yeah, well, to top it off, I did go for Mohamed Salah. Far yeah, and away. Obviously, obviously. Yeah, far and away the top goal scorer. And yeah, I think he's only going to win one way this award. I think he's already pretty much sort of secured it. And yeah, he's just done exactly what I expected him to do and just once he gets in that sort of in that mood and in that on that role of sort of scoring and creating goals it's he's very hard to stop and that was my thought process behind it and I did I did foresee Liverpool coming back really strong this year to be honest and I think we have seen though with both of our predictions that with two of both of us have gone for different approaches I think maybe I was I, I mean I'm not putting thoughts back in in my head six months ago or however long it was, ago it was but I think maybe I was thinking about the content. I mean, that's the only excuse I can have. And, I mean, they are very safe shouts from you. They are pretty boring shouts. Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden and Mo Salah. I mean, they turned out to be good shouts, correct. Yeah. But I don't know if that's what... Is that what the listeners want to hear? I'm not sure. I'm not <laughs> sure. But anyway, anyway. No, I think it was definitely... I think looking back, and I think it's, it's hindsight's a, a magical thing, isn't it? And... Looking back, I mean, there was no one else other than Salah really in the running, was there? No. I mean, even last season he had a a, a great out goal output, even in a Liverpool team that were that were faltering. And now, yeah, I think it's going to be all awards to Mo Salah come the end of the season. And yeah, if we're going to go, for Phil, well, I'd go for Phil Foden at this stage stage of the season, with Young Player of the Year. Um, yeah, we're going to react to our full table predictions come the end of the season and I think there's going to be even more shouts that we probably look back with regret but yeah anyway it's been an enjoyable episode today Westy yeah as always thanks for joining me mate um, we'll catch you guys next week if you enjoyed the episode feel free to follow the podcast you'll get notified actually you can you should get notified if the when the episode comes out, but you can also click your notification bell on on Spotify. I know you can do it, and I think there is somewhere on, on Apple Podcasts you can do it as well. So if you want to know when the next episode's out, we normally drop them around Thursday or Friday. So yeah, um, we we appreciate you listening. We appreciate the support on the podcast. Like I said earlier in the show, follow us on at Divided Opinion if you want to see daily content. Is there any more you'd like to add, Westy? Nope. Nothing, mate. No. There's no point shaking your head, mate. The the listeners can't see that. All right. Um, (laughs) You should be the one shaking your head at them. Some of them shouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, going into next season, mate. 
got a lot of thinking to do. I'm going to go <laughs> off and just take a long, hard look at myself. and A lot of soul searching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. And we will see you next week. <laughs>